Welcome to the Town to Learning Show, Episode 11, with your host and independent tech analyst, John Lay. Today I interview Tamara Lee, SVP of Education at YM Learning, about trends in attracting lifelong, continuing education learners. You can find more of our content at talentedlearning.com. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome again to the Talented Learning Show podcast series. On this show, I'm fortunate to interview the world's leading experts in extended enterprise learning technology solutions from both the vendor and the practitioner perspectives. Today, from the vendor expert side, we're thrilled to have Tamer Lee, SVP of Education at YM Learning, which is a division of community brands. Tamer was formerly president and founder of Digital Ignite, the makers of the Crowd Wisdom Professional Development LMS, and VP of Technology at vCampus prior to that. Tamer has been focused on extended enterprise and continuing education technology for almost 20 years and is my go-to source for learning about cutting-edge learning tech innovation. Welcome, Tamer. Welcome. Oh, thank you, John. It's great to be here. I, you, know, you know I'm a big fan, so I'm honored to spend some time with you. <laughs> All right. Well, as you know, Tamer, at Talented Learning, uh, we focus our uh, fiercely independent research and analysis in the field of extended enterprise learning technology, which is the science and the art of strategically using learning to often to generate revenue revenues for your non-employee audience, such as members, customers, prospects, and, and partners. And I've been following you and your solution now for almost five years as the lead analyst at Talented Learning. And every time we speak, I learn something new and useful and and interesting uh, about the market that I thought I already knew, and uh, I'm sure today will be uh, no different. So uh, no pressure, no. Tamer. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for too kind. Very gracious. <laughs> well, a lot of people uh, ask me just in the in the consulting world, what is going on uh, with uh, community brands in general? Maybe we'll we'll, we'll start there. Uh, community brands has been on this acquisition tear. Uh, that's caught uh, everybody in the industry is is paying attention of acquiring learning technology. Uh, organizations or companies, uh, uh, association management systems, all kinds of uh, technology and bringing it under the, the umbrella of community brands. And I was wondering if you could tell us about uh, community brands and what the overall uh, mission of, of your organization and overall yeah, arching mission is of your organization. Uh, it's a fair request. I mean, it, it's been pretty quick and, and very rapid, the, the rise. And I think the, the whole theme has been really to um, help bring those solutions and uh, technology to help organizations in the nonprofit, professional education space, and in the trades business, uh, which you know encompasses a, a various fields and industry and nonprofit status, uh, a, a better suite and uh, options and technology. You know, the whole industry, as you probably know it very well, John, was fragmented. You know, there's a, a lot of data and technology disparity, lots of silos, and really, um, you know, it, it, it pained the consumer and the customer uh, to find the right solutions for their organization, whatever the size. And, you know, I'm, I'm really happy to see, you know, and be part of an organization like Community Brands is bringing, the, you know, the best-in-class providers, breaking down the barriers, centralizing data, and, and, and bringing a, a solution set uh, that you know brings in the modern technologies, the web services, the seamless integrations that these organizations deserve. Unfortunately, a lot of them, um, a lot of the industry was, you know, riddled with mom and pop type businesses that were with the best intent were designed to do smaller scale and and smaller scope solutions. Whereas most of these groups have. Uh, a lot of complex landscapes dealing with uh, um, a competitor landscape that's much more 
uh, deep and wide than they've ever had to deal with, and they needed a company that can help them follow suit. So uh, mm-hmm. I think community brands, is, it, it, that, that's the, the value that it's bringing to these organizations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you uh, when you think of that more holistic solution that breaks down uh, the silo barriers, what are the the main silos that you, that you see in associations? Is it like the events group and the education group, or AMS and LMS? Uh, how do you look at it, or how is it? Yeah, broke, broken experiences, right? If we're talking about um, this era of frictionless commerce, it's all um, the opposite of it. Tons of friction, tons of obstacles, many clicks. Uh, disparate screens that don't look connected, the user experience is broken, behind the scenes the data is not shared, uh, the the person's profile and information are not carried through different experiences, so mm-hmm. required logging, um, the complexity of just jumping over the fence to becoming affiliated with an organization, whereas nowadays you can sign up to something with a, f- a quick click or a phone number entry. So these organizations are in need of it, and they should have the same things that other organizations have. It. It's just that the industry has been slow to adopt it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, not no. to mention data disparity. I mean, we, sorry, one of the biggest ones is you know just that you have these silos of data sitting there that could be uh, tapped for the valuable insights, uh, but they're typically not because um, they're either you know in in legacy systems that are not communicating to each other or they're just not interfacing with other systems because of lack of, uh, you know, uh, modern APIs and web services. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. If you have to manually pull them together, you can almost guarantee that that won't happen uh, right. over over time. Yeah, that's uh, it's also very similar to what I'm seeing in, in consulting. A lot of times I, or, you know, when I work with associations to, uh, to figure out their learning technology needs, I ask for access to their systems, and often I get multiple usernames and passwords to if I want to get into this, or I want to get into the test prep courses here, or you know if you want to get into the member area there, and you know very uh, very frictionful uh, for sure uh, to, to do exactly. <laughs> it is. I mean, those every one of those solutions you, you typically mention right there, they're uh, they're they they are typically unique and almost standalone experiences, which they don't have to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a step back, uh, Tamer. What you're on the front lines here, talking to associations of every flavor every day. What are the what are the biggest challenges that uh, associations are facing in, in 2018? I know that's a big question, but if you could narrow it down to you know, one, two, or three of, of what you see every association struggling against. Fascinating to hear that. Yeah, I, they're really good ones. I mean, I think there's an existential crisis of relevance, meaning that these organizations, they have significant value, but the way they've positioned themselves historically has been uh, through um, two major product lines, and it's very dangerous to be a business and just have two or one product to live off, and mm-hmm. those are typically membership dues and an event, an annual event, and the ones that are succeeding have diversified into uh, diversified, edu- and I have a biased perspective and a tainted one just because I, I, I focus mainly on the education side, but they've diversified into one area, which is education, and at the root of it, the, their their missions have this in in their um, in their statement. So they went back to their roots, and they've they've uh, focused on what they could provide on, as a viable source of education for their industry or their trade, their specialty, and they've succeeded. And the one challenge is developing and diversifying their product portfolio away from just membership dues 
and the concept of an annual meeting. Um, you could probably lump in just the journal or the just the whatever that traditional printed media was. Uh, the other is just the competition. Uh, you know, they, they used to be the only show in town, but competition both from for-profit, non-profit, and even providers who might be like you, to borrow a phrase you just used, and you know, or the term uh, frenemy, they may be endorsed and even approved providers that this association has approved, but they're consuming into an audience that this association wants to get. And so what's happening is, is they're cannibalizing their own selves by um, endorsing providers or offering, you know, the, or providing a, a, a platform for even for-profit entities to come in uh, to advertise through their audiences and take away from that audience uh, from from their revenue. So the, the, the competition is is diversifying, and it's a complex uh, competition. And you know the for-profit entities, some of them are venture-funded or they're you know well well-oiled startups. And what happens is they ha they're just not structured to compete with them very well. So that, that's that's another area, and, and probably the other one is just to keep up with the content demands and the audience they have is, you know, that both in terms of the volume of content or the specificity of the content, and the other one is the portability of the content, having it to be in the devices of choice. A lot of them have made investments into, you know, maybe flash-based technologies that have been outdated, or they haven't developed enough multimedia. It's very paper and journal based where everybody wants these short videos and micro content. And so they're, they're having some, some of their historic inertia um, facing them in, in, in that regard too. So those are the three major challenges. There are other ones, but I think those are the ones that we see a lot of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I would agree with that. I, I, to summarize that, I, I think associations Nonprofit organizations are now compelled to think like for-profit organizations, uh, even though their nonprofit status remains the yeah. same because of those pressures. And it's really, uh, I think, exposing, like you said, the silos in the the organization and the kind of the fractured nature of growing a business over 40 years slowly uh, versus you know uh, being a corporation really you know forced to solve something in in, in a shorter time period. And so I think all those pressures will. Are, are showing up on the doorstep of uh, the learning technology, among other places, uh, inside those organizations. Do you, uh, do you, you know, one of the things uh, you know, that we've been discussing, and, and we're even having a, a, a webinar, a you and I panel discussion on this coming up, is, is how associations are attracting learners you know, for a lifetime, you know, not just once, but how it has to be a lifetime. And uh, it seems to be a, like a resurgence of the, this concept of a career competency model. Is that something that you're seeing in, in, in your base where, you know, organizations are, are trying to create this, this framework of, of education tied to competencies for different roles throughout the, the entire career of a professional? Or is that still kind of futuristic stuff? <laughs> it's definitely not Blade Runner futuristic anymore. Um, you know, I think you're right on that. Um, I think it, when we started, you know, and I started in my career when I was working with associations initially, it was very much what, and, and many of them called it the store. When you went to their website, there was the education store or just the store. Mm -hmm. And some of them still do that, unfortunately. And that store model is, you know, usually organized alpha, uh, alphanumerically like you would pick up a catalog for a local community college or uh, a fall offering for your local um, school extension. And what happens is that kind of um, 
that, that type of offering will result into the type of behavior you would expect. Just hand-pecked people taking courses when they can, when their availability is. And where we see things moving towards, and I think it's, it's more than just a casual shift. I think there's more and more focus on predictable paths and career focus and in the organizations developing competency paths. And this is a good position for these associations because it relinquishes the pressure point of having to be the, the complete source of all the education material. The association is the trusted authority to provide the, the benchmark status of careers, the clear paths on where the career focuses should be. You know, there are different specialties, let's say, say in finance or healthcare for a specific area. You know, there might be forensic, there might be eco. And, and, and within those paths that define the steps that you need to take, I can't think of anybody, any entity better than an association to, tr to trust to make those uh, suggestions for me as a professional. And then the association can create some of that content and then partner or vet other providers to fill in those blocks. So they, they become kind of the authority, the recommended consultant to come to to help me further my profession. And then they've also said, look, we, we, some of this is ours. They don't even have to call them out, but the content could be a combination of uh, uh, sources, some of it from their own and some from providers that they might even benefit from referring others to. And I think that's a great thing, I mean, both from predictability of revenue and a longevity for the relevance of the association to that professional. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Are these uh, frameworks then uh, that you're describing, are they always kind of wrapped up in the concept of certifications or designations, or can it be broader than that? Uh, what are you seeing? Yeah, I think now, now the designations are uh, – you know the, the designations remain of value, and I think that what's happening now, especially with the, um, the 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 ubiquity of access to the technology and also the tools that are available, the concept of micro credentials, micro content, and certificates are going to continue to uh, permeate the audiences that we work with, and so it allows the organization to take some uh, l less risk um, heavy programs and take approaches that may have been out of reach when you're talking about a major credential or a major uh, certification program. And it's, it's a lot less work and a lot less planning, a lot less risk to do, you know, maybe a micro-credential or a focus path in a certain area. And uh, it, it bodes well for the organization and for the participants because they're defining skills that bring them relevance in the, in the employment market. Mm -hmm, mm hmm Do you have any uh, you know, example, either real life or you know, just what a micro credential would look like? Is that like a, you know, I don't know, an hour investment, a couple weeks? Like what, what? What's that look like? Yeah, I think it depends on. You know, there are some purists to say there's a little bit, but it, you know, like a discrete task. Let's say, for example, I've seen things where you know, defining, uh, evaluating a PNL statement uh, is a critical. Uh, uh, a task and and capability for certain fields, and that could be a micro credential, uh, in a very valuable one for organizations to look for when they're hiring someone, let's say in the mm -hmm. financial you know background, or even someone in you know like a construction background that needs that experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, what is uh, uh, what is it? Uh, 
from a, an association standpoint, you know, if they talk micro-credentials or test prep or there's you know, the regular certifications or credentials, there is the sessions content, you know, from that annual show. Uh, there's a lot of different content that they have. What is, how do they go about in selling that, I guess? What is, what is the, the best content to sell? Is there any, maybe that's what I'm trying to ask. Is there any trends on what content is the most valuable across associations that they should convert first or offer first? How does that look? Yeah, it's, that's the question we always ask them too, is what, what's the top shelf content that can bring the initial masses to your audience, uh, to your portal when you first launch a new program or a new LMS uh, instance? And typically we try to think about ways that uh, they, they can position content better than any organization or nonprofit or other or for-profit, whether they deal with Linda and Khan Academy or Coursera or, you know, other, uh, some industry uh, for-profit. And typically we try to look at uh, exam, like certification preparation, exam prep, any, uh, you know, credential support. Uh, we, we try to avoid just the generic continuing in education just because those seem to be commoditized in most of the markets that they work with and they feel they do a, a fair job with them already uh, they may those are the ones that kind of fill the shelves but they don't particularly bring people in the first uh, first time on the launch it doesn't excite people so we typically talk to them about uh, assessment uh, certification uh, exam prep as those key areas that they they can make immediate impact uh, mm -hmm. those typically are not heavy lifts to develop in terms of multimedia and rich experiences and do very well in terms of profitability because people are willing to pay a higher price in terms and most of the anecdotal experience we've seen is to pay a higher premium when preparing for a credential uh, or for drill and practice mm-hmm Mm -hmm. And how do you go about, how do associations go about selling that from a, a pricing strategy standpoint? Is that included with a membership? Is it, uh, you know, incremental or a la carte? To, what's, what's turning out to be the most common way to approach this for associations? We're seeing that typically the, the, the CE type of activity, the commoditized content, is either, is either, um, yeah, decreased for membership or um, included as part of membership. And we're seeing, seeing more creative models where you know, the membership gives them a certain amount of um, education bucks, like so a certain amount of credits that they can use and apply mm -hmm. towards any courses they pick from a library and you know, starting to emulate more of a all-you-can-eat subscription model. And we're starting to see more and more like all all-consuming library models that for membership you get something because I think again going back to one of the original challenges that we discussed John is the membership value has been questioned and so more and more focus is on okay we have to support this value proposition by bringing in more content or services to the membership so that's one um, the the flagship programs that we're trying to get to migrate or develop for the clients those flagship programs are typically excluded from membership fees, but discounted for members. And we've seen clients that are charging near $2,000 for flagship programs in, in industries that you would not expect. You know, they're not necessarily just in the highest levels of finance and healthcare, but they have relevance for career or a specific, a specific trade, and people are willing to pay them, especially when they may get corporate um, support for them or their employer support. 
but those are typically, and that's the other benefit is that you're creating a new stream of revenue that typically is not part of the typical continuing education library. Higher premium, uh, potentially longer shelf life, and um, uh, potentially uh, a bigger margin. Mm -hmm. Wow, interesting. Interesting. And you mentioned earlier on in uh, the conversation about uh, keep on going back to these silos and bringing that data to, together. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. What, is that what they mean when they, they say artificial intelligence in, in education is the analyzation of that data, or is it broader than that? Uh, it's a good point. I think there's the, analyst, uh, the analytics and the analysis of the data that's recording and happening um, in various forms. One is like just taking, you know, we're, we're experimenting with things where we just take the evaluation information and using, you know, artificial intelligence to evaluate what that means and automating things that uh, people had to go through, you know, to, to do. You know, artificial intelligence uh, could be um, the label we use for the type of assessments we deliver that potentially deliver different topics of note for the person who's trying to strengthen themselves in a particular area of weakness. Uh, those are the areas that we think are the potential near-term uses of artificial intelligence to either automate administrative tasks and uh, reviewing the, the activity that happens on the LMS and the activities in learning technology in combination with other sources, potentially CRM and uh, web analytics. You know, here's things that we see that's happening in your library and you're too busy to see them. Then the other side is for the learner side, and that's probably the one that's more of a potential impact is, you know, the LMS and the technologies that are there. I think, you know, people are quick to start, you know, writing obituaries for technology and <laughs> them sound like they're on the cutting edge of things. The LMS is not going to die. It's just it's shifting away from just becoming a dispenser, right? So the, the LMS has been a dispenser of content and tracking at an elementary level. You, know, you, you took this course, and I know you took it, and here's your grade, and this is when you took it, and I issued a credit for you. Mm -hmm. Now things are getting fancier and that, that the, uh, the learning platform can make some predictive anal uh, analysis of what you may be able to be, or may be interested in taking, uh, for your interests, your profile, and people similar to you using that information to promote content. So it's facilitating discovery of content by associating you with your past and other peers. The other thing it could do is to compare you to other peop people and help you identify your, uh, your gaps, your strengths in comparison to the industry. And then it also can help you find potential uh, you know, content uh, in terms of the relevance to content that you've taken in the past. So there's a lot of things that you, you may be searching. So it, it's going away from just, hey, you know, here's a list uh, from A to Z of all the things that you may take from this uh, store uh, to a place where it's, you know, here's what we think you may like based on your previous history. Promote that in the various ways. So we're not an island, but we're promoting it through the acceptable cha channels to communicate to you whether it's email or text or through an app. Uh, those are the things that it's, uh, it, it's becoming. It's, it's, it's much more of a recognition and navigation assistance and a content discovery system versus, you know, this um, dummy terminal of dispensing content. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Fun times are coming. It's really Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, we're lucky. I mean, the times are where 
you know, machines and the things like Amazon and these cloud services that someone can just append to uh, are making things a lot easier. Now, appending to is a, a very light way of describing some of the efforts one needs to make, but it, it, the things are much more enabling now to use services to, to orchestrate potential APIs to do the things that people um, have just imagined in the past. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. You can just imagine pulling together you know, Google Analytics data, CRM data, which, you know, whole, or AMS data, which holds, you know, all the things that are non-educational that a member or a, a customer might do from coming to your trade show to, you know, buying this or getting shipped that or, you know, anything that they're interested in over time and combining that with that, uh, the actual education data, all to make better business decisions. You can see how, you know, that could lead to, you know, predicting revenue and measuring revenue, you know, based on all those decisions on from the sale of content, making AI, you know, pretty important here for growing a business and maintaining it in the future, uh, let alone all the educational benefits. So it's, it's going to be exciting to see how that all unfolds over time. Yeah, I totally agree with you, John. Yeah, I think that these, the, you know, bringing these, and that, you know, you back to the original point of the community brands value, is it, you know, it's, it's not really to you know, put up another billboard about that ad, but, you know, that, that mm. bringing in those sources of data in a way that, you know, it, it has less obstacles and using that data to identify the opportunities that people have had there just sitting there, but to analyze that and provide recommendations and, and also predict, you know, behavior from an audience that has a pretty good track record. They have, they have maybe 10 to 20 years of data that they could use to, to glean off of, but they, they're not using. Agreed. Um, one last question, Tim. We're at our at our time already here. So every or association is going to be somewhere along that curve of being great at adapting to those to not even knowing that they're happening. Uh, you know, what would be your best advice to organizations that are trying to figure out how to take some first steps into into going from the old way to the new way that you're describing? And, and yeah, I mean, they're all you know they they have their own unique characteristics, but in general, if these organizations, as or, uh, you know, a, a .org or a nonprofit association or trade, go back to their roots and and look back at even just the documentations and their missions and vision statements, what were they what were they supposed to be doing, and are they fulfilling those particular mission statements and visions now, and simplifying their their new world order to look at things that way. Specifically, if there are for-profit competitors out there, and many of the groups we're dealing with are challenged with potentially, you know, upstart, you know, fast-performing, agile groups that don't have to worry about the brand preservation that an esteemed association has, why are you trying to compete with them, like, directly head-on? Find ways to work with them. Find ways of leveraging what an association typically has is the value of trust, the the, the the, the vetted community of practitioners, they have uh, a, a lifeguard view of the industry and a trusted view of what's going on in, you know, 20 years, 40 years, they have a longer term perspective. And in, in doing so, defining things that they can do in this new world order versus trying to say, this is the competition, we're going to go try to kill them. It seems to be a self-fulfilling prophecy towards failure. 
when you're taking an organization that was designed completely different than yours and trying to emulate them by pr providing similar product output, it, it seems to be a very uh, dangerous type of proposition. So going back to your roots, looking back at the mission and value of your, your, your mission and value statements, and finding the niche of what you can occupy. You don't have to be everybody, you don't have to be everything, but to do those things that you, you focus on well, uh, the, the longer term uh, success will come from that kind of focus and discipline versus saying we have to turn everything up and upside down. And we're seeing some organizations doing that, some very good organizations. They're trying to up, uh, create upheaval for just the nature of competing with an organization uh, that uh, it seems like something that uh, is too radical and, and overlooks the, the, the very uh, important roots of an organization, organization and why it's been successful through that time. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying to just hook on to the history of, you know, it's, it's not to say we have to just go continue to do events in uh, the printed journal, but there, there are happy mediums there that uh, most of these organizations need to find. And the ones that, you know, I may be referring to are dealing with, um, you know, crises that probably are somewhat self-created by creating this upheaval just to compete. Sage advice <laughs> uh, from Tamer Lee, SVP uh, edu Education at YM Learning. Uh, Tamer, thanks so much uh, thanks, for John. joining me here today and it's been a pleasure. Sharing, sharing your insights. Uh, we hope to see you soon here on our upcoming webinar, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we'll see you on the next Talented Learning Show. Find more of our content at talentedlearning.com.